This is the Idea Time Podcast with Dr. Joe North. Welcome to the Idea Time Podcast. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies, and interviews that will help you to achieve greater professional and business success by thinking more creatively. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe North. So welcome to this week's Idea Time podcast. I'm pleased to be joined by Paul Slater of The Growth Shed. And uh, he's an amazing guest. I'm not going to steal his thunder, but he is absolutely awesome when it comes to business growth and getting a really clear roadmap that gets results. So Paul, can you remember when we first met? Wow, thank you for that introduction, Joe. Um, I can remember, yes, it was at Leeds Business Week. I think it was just over a year ago. And I came along to one of your presentations and I just remember thinking, here's a lady who loves to learn, who loves to share her learning, which is very much in line with my own thought process and, uh, and values. And I was just keen to meet you and um, we struck up a relationship from there, didn't we? We did. And we've collaborated on all sorts of things ever since. So it's been really, really, really good. And I just love your, um, I just love the programme. We're going to talk a little bit mm. more about what you've what you've created really because mm-hmm. um, I think what's super special about you one of the things that is super special about you is your big company huge brand experience that you've then been able to translate into small business support so tell us a bit about your background because I know it involves snow and all sorts of other things so tell us a bit how you got where you are today the big brands that you've been working with and um, and then we'll explore from there Absolutely, Joe. So I've had a career in consultancy, so I've not had many real jobs, um, but I've seen more than two decades of project work. Started life with one of the big consultancies, a company called Accenture. Uh, studied an MBA at Leeds. Decided at that time that probably Accenture wasn't really right for me in the next step and took a long holiday with my then girlfriend, now wife. And during that time, we spent some of our visits in Uh, in Japan, where we met up with a good buddy of mine, and we went skiing. And uh, you mentioned snow. There was a germ of an idea that was formulated there and then with my friend, which was really to say, this ski infrastructure in Japan is absolutely brilliant. But we don't see many people using it. And we certainly don't see many expats using the ski infrastructure. And we hatched an idea there and then to set up a ski business to provide that whole uh, experience of the expat package for people who were working in and around Japan and Asia who expected to get transfers, apres ski lessons, and the whole deal. So that was one of the things that I've uh, have done during my time. Um, when I came back to the UK and uh, got another real job, that was back in consultancy again, and uh, that led me to right about three and a half years ago, where for a whole host of reasons, I decided to set up on my own and have worked with some large brands, as you mentioned, but also a lot of small and medium-sized businesses since then as well. What do you think you learned most from your time at Accenture? I think I learned the trade of being a management consultant. You know, it was a fantastic company. They invested a lot of time and energy into their people. You were with a lot of typically quite young and quite raw um, people coming out of university, but all, you know, combined with this sense of wanting to move mountains and achieve things and really do great things for their clients. So I learned the consulting process. I learned how to 
engage with clients. I think I learned how to scope projects. You know, I learned a lot about working with teams under high pressure, under deadlines. And really, I took a lot of um, learning about how to engage with clients at their level to make something understandable, meaningful for them. Um, And never to forget that at the end of the day, our clients are people as well, and they just want to understand what it is that you're trying to achieve and how you can help them to do that. Yeah, and um, I mean, consultants can bring a lot of value and there are great consultants and there are not so great consultants. What do you think makes a great consultant? And can you give us some examples of some of the differences that you've made? Absolutely, yes. So I think that great consultants have empathy. They have a lot of emotional intelligence. They recognise that change is hard and that change can feel painful and it can feel really scary for organisations as well. So I think it's really important to be able to put people at ease and to empathise with them. I'm afraid to say it's not every consultant that takes that approach. I think there are some who are potentially a little more directive, you know, very bright people without question, but perhaps aren't always trying to engage with the organisation at a level that makes sense for them. In terms of um, in terms of impact, you know, I think um, some of the projects that I'm really proud of, for example, are when I was working with um, the NHS, um, helping a team of um, essentially district nurses to go through a process of understanding something called lean. Now, you and I know about lean, mm-hmm. and I, I guess many of your listeners yeah. know a lot about lean as well. But um, it was up in the northeast actually, and they were trying to bring in this whole philosophy of getting things right first time so that they could be more efficient in all of their interactions with their patients. So, for example, working out in the community, working out how to be efficient in terms of getting to and from their patients, working out how to have uh, standard kits so that they could help with, you know, dressing wounds, leg ulcers, for example, for the elderly. And one of the things I found, um, and as I say, it made me feel really proud, was that one of the ladies who was a um, health visitor said to us at the end, look, we've, we've just cracked so many problems that we thought were impossible to crack by applying these principles. And when you first started talking about them, we didn't, you know, we didn't believe. We just thought, OK, here's another initiative. But now we've actually put it into practice. We've cracked so many problems from tiny things like um, our inboxes piling up with paper through to some really big impacts like actually reducing the time it takes to take our patients through certain processes so we can give them more uh, quality of care and we can spend more time with them because we're being more efficient in how we do things. That's fantastic and it's, uh, it feels you know, it's making a real meaningful difference to, uh, to so many people when you do that because the factor is multiplied out in terms of the number of patients that those, that those people will see. Um, engaging people in the front line in the change is really important isn't mm, it but it's absolutely. also can be a challenge because you know I've come across for instance oh yeah well, we've seen all this before you know we've tried that before it won't work or um, it's okay doing these workshops but nothing ever changes afterwards you know mm. and and the reason for those is because the leadership of the of the business it's not anything to do with the people on the front line it's the leadership of the business hasn't actually followed through mm-hmm. um, and maintained that intention of, of purpose so how do you actually get that change to, because they, they say it's sort of, you know, you, you, you're frozen, then you unfreeze, and then you refreeze, uh-huh. and then you sort of, so, I think these days you need to say sort of 
stay semi-defrosted really because <laughs> you know change is so constant and so frequent and we need to be yeah. dynamic um, but how do you get the leaders and the people to change and transform and to keep that momentum going mm. well I think there's a number of dimensions and one of the things that stuck with me really early in talking about taking people through a change process are the two words Wiffham and whammy so, okay, I know Witham. I'm not sure about Whammy. Yeah, so. okay. So Witham, what's in it for me? Yeah. So this is really about, you know, um, understanding that people do have um, a personal agenda and they want to be able to connect to the change and see how it, you know, will benefit them, how it will help them. A Whammy is what's against my interests. So this is ah, really thinking yeah. about the change and saying, okay, um, you know, something's changing here. I can see some good aspects to that, but I can also see some things that aren't ideal for me because maybe it's taking away an element of control from me or it's taking a part of the role away from me that I used to enjoy or indeed it's giving me additional responsibilities that at the moment I feel a bit nervous about because perhaps I don't have the confidence in my capability yet to deliver those. Yeah and it's, it's interesting isn't it I, I was um, leading an innovation session earlier this week and the people in the room said, actually, it's all about change and about people's mindsets. Why mm-hmm. won't people, why won't everybody change? Why do some people step forward to the change and others don't? And we had a conversation around, actually, we're all driven by emotion. Mm-hmm. So we make our decisions emotionally and then we justify them with logic. Absolutely. So it could be, oh, that new system makes me feel uncomfortable. I feel more comfortable, comfort being you know, a form of emotion. Mm-hmm. I'm more comfortable with my spreadsheets than actually using that techie stuff mm-hmm. um but we'll actually explain that instead of saying it's comfort we'll say well actually my spreadsheets work better that tech stuff doesn't work it's not this it's not that you know and find fault with with the change itself and i think if we can actually understand the emotional process um that people are experiencing with change that can really help um we talked about the change curve as well you know mm. in fact as leaders um the change curve uh some people are at one end where they, they, you know, they can see the vision and they're already there. They've arrived at the destination. And some people are at the bottom of a dip where they're thinking, what on earth is going on? You know, particularly when they've not been involved in the idea in the first place to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in any change, you've always got a real spread of people, haven't you? So it's easier, I think, for particularly the senior people who've perhaps been discussing the change for quite a long time. They've got their heads around it just to assume that everyone's in the same place. And of course, they're a million miles behind. And, um, you know, therefore, they're going to find it much harder to get that sort of comfort that you were talking about uh, in terms of what's going to happen uh, to them in the change. Yeah. And uh, I just think it's really it's a really fascinating thing that leaders set off, they get excited by that idea. And then, you know, it's about bringing people with you and help them you know, helping the whole process rather by co-creating that change, you know, and getting them involved in terms of what that change looks like and then doing something about it. It's not just talking about it, it's doing it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is absolutely. And I think so many change programmes have fallen foul of the fact that they've done lots of work around designing the change and maybe communicating and getting people engaged, but then actually not pushing it through to a conclusion and not then measuring and monitoring the benefits and making some course corrections if they need to. And it's so crucial that change is implemented. Otherwise, as you say, it just gets this bad name in organisations because here comes another initiative. We don't believe it. We don't think it's going to happen. We don't trust that it's going to happen. 
let's keep our heads down and just try and let yeah. it blow over. And it's that it's that pushback that sometimes leaders can lose their nerve. And I sort of say, you know, a plane takes off into the wind, mm-hmm. um, which means it's got, got the you know the, the wind against it. And actually, once it's taken off and it's up there and it's you know it's cruising, then it, it's fine. And I think with any change, you know, from a leadership point of view, it's also about holding your nerve, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And just recognising that people might have wobbles, but keep following that track. And as you say, you know, make the adjustments that you need. It's yeah. a really fascinating subject. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the the shallower the change curve and the narrower the change curve, you know, the, that dip in the middle mm. um, and, and helping people to have actually the self-confidence that they can deal with change wherever they are in the business, because it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And and minimizing that dip that you've described in the change curve is so important because in that dip, you've got a, uh, you know, a, f- a drop off in performance typically yep. because people are occupied with worrying about the change yeah, as opposed to, you know, getting on and performing. Yeah, running off into corners, having a coffee, talk, you know, comparing notes. What do we all think about this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if, if communication isn't good, then the rumor mill starts and people start spending their time and their energy on those rumors uh, and, and discussing, you know, what's happening and trying to find out what's happening and trying to get that clarity. So there's lots of good things we can do to really minimize that dip, yeah. including very clear communication. As you say, you know, keep on course despite the turbulence uh, in the aeroplane. Be very, very clear on the purpose and the why of what we're trying to do here. I think it's really, really important to have that clarity. Why are we changing? What does the future look like? What benefits does that bring us? But at the same at the same time, being really honest about, okay, yes, there are some downsides to this change as well. And if they're there, you've got to be honest about them because people aren't children. No, you know, it, at work, adults aren't children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people are children. I've got two of them. Um but adults at work, of course, you know, you can't treat them like children um, because they'll see straight through that. Well, it's not right to either. And yeah. I think as well, effective management of change from a well-being perspective is good in everybody's interest. So so you've dealt with a lot of change mm-hmm. and you've helped a lot of big companies and big names change, haven't you? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd be interested to hear a bit more about those. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I touched on one project in the NHS that was with a um, primary care trust um, I've also been involved in large change programs with um, global beauty brands, um, large-scale manufacturers, across a number of different sectors, actually. And These are household names as well. They're names that we would have all, I mean, I know you can't say, but we've all heard of them, haven't we? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I can mention some of them. It's not yeah. an issue. Um, you know, I've worked with Estee Lauder, for example. Um, I've worked with uh, Velux Windows, uh, to, to, to name two yeah. household names, GSK, um, Zurich Global Life. So, you know, fairly well-known brands across a number of different sectors. And I think because my early consulting career in particular followed a strong change management um, service line, it meant that I could work across a number of different industries because they were experiencing the same sorts of people challenges, yeah. almost regardless of whether it was health and life sciences or financial services or something else. So it's really transferable then, isn't it? Because the regardless of the industry, the sector, you know, the the issues around communication and buy-in and leadership, uh, clarity, they're all the same. So, um, so if if I'm um, a small business, mm-hmm. so and I'm looking to change, and I'm not sure about it, but I know I need to do something, you know, and there's 
uh, got some growth ambitions and but to to get those growth ambitions you know what got me here is not going to get me there so if I'm a business like that how do you help people uh, achieve what they want to achieve and bringing in that big brand experience that you've had yeah absolutely I think one of the things I've learned from working with large companies in complex situations is that you do need to look at a business as a system you can't just focus in on one dimension the people dimension alone or the process dimension alone it's really important to take an holistic view at an organization regardless of its size and to say okay what are the real strengths here but what are potentially some of the blind spots that are holding back growth for an organization so typically i'll look at a number of dimensions with an organization to say okay where are some of the gaps and weaknesses and what are we really good at so i'll look at purpose and strategy I'll look at the processes there. So do we have good, robust processes? Do we have a good, clear customer journey? Are any of our processes not working as well as we'd like them to? I'll look at products with those organizations. Do we have a good, balanced set of products that meet the various needs of our our customers? I'll look at how they interact and engage with their prospects. So the people who are potential customers for them, How are they finding them? How are they engaging them? How are they keeping them interested? How are they converting them? And ultimately, how are they making them loyal advocates of their brands? So So by looking looking across a number of different dimensions um, and taking a sort of semi-scientific approach, you know, so I do actually sit with organizations to score a whole series of dimensions and say to them, how effective are you in these different areas? And I, and I look at something called AIM. How good is your AIM? Mm. And um, I look at, do you have an approach? Yeah. Is it implemented? And do you measure and manage it? Because quite often we have approaches, but they aren't implemented. And if they're implemented, perhaps we don't actually look at whether they're giving us results. Yeah, and that, um, and that gives you the continuous improvement cycle for growth, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, I, I know you said it was semi-scientific. I, I think it's more than that I think uh, having sort of been through your process and, and mm-hmm. seen how great it is I think it's 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 forensic but in a, a really good forensic way uh, it's really structured and it leaves no um, stone unturned really but in a in a really good time efficient way you mm-hmm. know you're looking at all the key things and that gives a really nice balance in terms of being able to sort of step back yeah and yeah. see a dashboard created of the business and where everything's at and therefore you can just see super easily where you need to target where the effort needs to be um, rather than spreading your effort too thin you know with with what you do from what I've seen and, and correct me if I'm wrong but from what I've seen and experienced it's about focusing on in on those areas that are going to make the most difference yeah and that's really compelling it's it, that's absolutely right Joe. and one of the questions you asked me was about big consulting into working with smaller businesses. Um, I don't think any business can afford to miss out the stage where they do some analysis and actually work out what's going on here. But small businesses definitely can't afford to spend weeks and months in that phase in the way that some larger businesses probably would and do and, and can afford to have a big team looking at something in you know incredible depth for Crunching the days, and days and days and days and days. So... You know, I always wanted to take that um, that robust approach, but make it applicable um, in a way that we can 
bring it into a small business, but get a really quick view on what's going on here. But we don't jump from problem to solution and say, okay, our problem is that we don't have enough leads. Solution, you know, we throw everything at one um, tactic within marketing, for example. You know, ultimately that might be a good thing to do. But let's look at the whole business and just understand that there's a few different things that probably need to happen together to make this a great business. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I think you know the, it gives a really good structure as well that you can you know talk talk people through. So um, if someone decides to put, because a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, and this is based mm. on research, not just my own observation. I've mm-hmm. done quite a lot of research, you know, into entrepreneurship and successful entrepreneurs and innovation. And you are one. And I well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, so a lot of entrepreneurs have an idea, um, work with a lot of intuition, you know, and then want to crack on and deliver that idea. How do you find it working with small to medium sized businesses in terms of actually just getting them to stop and think about the data and think about what the information is telling them to combine that with their intuition and judgment? How does that work for you? Yeah, that's that can be really hard. You know, as you say, you've got someone with. Um, you know, incredible vision and drive, and there's something that they know they want to achieve. Um, and many entrepreneurs, I think, do operate with a with a very high degree of gut instinct. But it's always important, I think, to be able to demonstrate the impact of something. Mm-hmm. So the best argument, I think, to say, look, you know, stop, let's take a breath and just look at what we're doing here, is to say, if we make this change combined with another change and a third change, you've actually got a multiplier effect. You've yeah. got a compounding effect. Mm-hmm. So rather than just focusing on one thing and going for it, let's look for the critical chains in your business. Because when you can chain together several small or incremental improvements, that actually adds up to a very big impact and result. Yeah, I love that, the compounding. So you're sort of stacking the changes so that together they're bigger than they would be on their own. They have a bigger positive impact. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Yeah. So um, so let's say somebody wants to work with, you know, the, a small business, they want to grow, not quite sure how to go about it. Maybe they've got some ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, where would where would you start with them? What sort of, take me through the process that that they would experience with you as, a, as an entrepreneur working with you? Yeah, absolutely. It depends a little bit on context and size and where they are in their life cycle. So just yesterday, I was working with a fantastic pre-startup business called My Baby Sleep Coach. And a wonderful lady, Emma Bannum, she's a lifelong health visitor and NHS, you know, incredibly well-qualified individual. And she's now got this vision for a side gig, effectively, which she's launching. But she was really at the start, you know, right at the beginning, um, just getting everything together. So for her, it was just to take the model that I work with, which has seven key dimensions of a business, and to look across that and say, what are the real fundamental things that we need to get in place? So for her, it was quite literally, we looked at her vision and purpose, and then we looked at her products and pricing. We looked at her ideal customer. We did some work around pains and gains to understand, you know, were her offerings really going to address that market? And we really did that all within around about five hours. So it was quite intensive, but it's given her, I think, a good foundation to work from now. Sounds great. We didn't go through a very scientific process because we knew that she didn't have, you know, a lot of the um, sort of building blocks in place, but she will have those very, very quickly. Um, A business that's more established, so, you know, maybe a few years into its life cycle, 
Um, potentially they've been growing well and all of a sudden they've hit a growth ceiling or they've been growing so well that they're now starting to get growing pains. Yeah. For those organisations, I'd want to sit down and do a little bit more of a thorough and scientific walkthrough of their business. And I've, I've created an online model. You mentioned it earlier. I'm a bit of a geek. I love technology. So I've oh, It's fantastic. You answer all these. Um, it's very colourful and visual and accessible and you can see at a glance where you need to focus. Well, that's that's the, that's the goal. And it um, the whole reason for setting it up in that way is because you can quite quickly get a really good insight into your business, how well things are working, how good your aim is. But then that translates into what I sometimes describe as a Lego box of solutions. So I've got um, you know quite a number of different tools and approaches to help with the various challenges that a business might have. And based on that initial piece, you know, that growth mapping piece where we create the dashboard, I can then plug and play the Lego box to say, right, here's a bespoke, but almost off the shelf solution for you. So it's fast um, and it's ready to use. And it also means that, you know, I can keep the the price relatively um, competitive because we're using the Lego blocks that are mostly already there. Yeah, so it's sort of modular. Exactly. But very yes. specific and bespoke. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. In terms of the combination. Yeah. Um, what I, I love about your solution as well for um, businesses that have teams, and you know, I'm I'm passionate about bringing people together. I absolutely love facilitating rooms of people, you know, who are co-creating stuff, problem mm. solving together. And I know you do facilitation as well, don't you? So in in the mm. businesses, you get the team together and you you workshop stuff, and you're a really good facilitator. Um, well, coming from you, that's that's high praise. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so tell me, tell me about that. And um, I think you've got a, a, a facilitation story for us. I don't know what the story is. You just mm-hmm. promised me a facilitation story. I did indeed. I did indeed. So, in, in my process, once we've identified the Lego blocks that a business needs, um, some of those will be workshops. So, you know, we'll come together. We'll bring the team together to look at the team dynamic or maybe at a process that isn't working and we'll do some improvement work around that. You know, classically, if someone doesn't have it, you know, we might do some work around their purpose um, early in the process as well. So I will facilitate workshops and then small coaching sessions, either in teams or one-to-one to make the change happen. And that's the general sort of model that I follow. Yeah, that gives, um, that maintains the momentum again, doesn't it? As we were saying, you know, it really helps drive it through if you're coaching through the change as well. So fantastic. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And how long can people, ex- I know this is probably a how long is a piece of string question, but how mm. long can people um, take to before the results really start to come through? Well, I think sometimes you can get almost instantaneous results. Really? Now, I, look, you know, in a at a certain scale, I don't want to be one of those people that claims, you know, do these three things and you'll double the size no, of your business overnight. Of, yeah, um, there's rubbish. so many of those promises out there yeah. and it's just it's just not real because it, it you know it is hard work it does take a lot of commitment and you do need to think through think things through. Um, but with some key changes chained together you know you really can get some fantastic impacts. And I think you know within a few weeks you should be seeing some impacts where you've perhaps identified some low hanging fruit. And you've really tackled that with what I would call boosts in my in my offering. So I've got the workshops, which are, you know, 
quick um, two, three hour, maybe half day interventions really focused on a topic. But then there's a whole series of boosts, you know, little tactics that you can use to improve conversion rates. What a great name. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. So so the process then is um, we do the forensic. I, I call it forensic because I like forensic because it's it's structured, it's really clear um, and it's thorough without being ridiculously time consuming. It's quite a quick thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we do the we do that, work out where to focus, maybe do some workshops, work out what Lego building bricks we need to create to put mm-hmm. things together, um, add in some coaching. And then within weeks, we're starting to get early signs of increased revenue or improved profitability and growth. Absolutely. And then keeping that momentum going, um, actually achieving the results that we've set out to achieve when we started the process. That's right. That's right. And I think sometimes early in the process, I don't like the phrase low hanging fruit, but everyone gets the idea. There is is often some low hanging fruit and you can make some, you know, quite big changes quite quickly that have a very high impact. Mm -hmm. And then as you work more and more with the business, you know, you're working on the fundamentals for really sustainable growth. Yeah, and that, that takes a bit more time. It's a bit uh, a bit more work to get at, doesn't it? It's still there, but um, the quick wins or the, uh, the low-hanging fruit, as we've said. So really Absolutely. good, really, yes. really good. Yeah. yeah, so you asked about um, my facilitation story. Um, one one uh, activity really sticks in my mind. I was working with a, a large organisation, and I won't name names this time, um, and there was quite a new team that had just come together after there was quite a big reorganisation uh, in in this company. And the COO, the boss of this team of seven or eight folk, was really, really keen to get them working better together because they were quite new. Uh, some of the dynamics in the team weren't, weren't great. You know, they, they weren't all getting on, essentially. They weren't operating as a team in the way that we'd right. like them to. So I was working alongside a occupational psychologist who um, had this technique which he called Know Your Lemons. And I've not heard of that one. Yeah, so um, this was actually a workshop over two days and the team had been asked to work from a Friday into a Saturday just to make you know time for the day job as well. And on the Friday evening, um, they were having dinner or we were all having dinner, uh, the wine was flowing and... Um, the occupational psychologist, Rene, he said to me, do you, th- do you think we should do the, the lemons exercise after dinner? And I said, well, yeah, I think that could be really good fun, actually, because they're all loosened up now. You know, they've had a couple of glasses of wine. So at the end of dinner, we said, right, we're going to do an exercise. And we went back up to the room where we were holding the workshop, uh, sat everyone down, and Rene pulled out this box of lemons and gave everyone a lemon and said, right, You've got a few minutes, get to know your lemon. You need to know it intimately. You need to know every, you know, bump uh, and piece of uh, sort of pith on the skin of this lemon. Get to know them. And they looked at him, and but they went with it anyway. Um, and, and then a few minutes later, he said, right, okay. In a few minutes' time, I'm going to hide those lemons in another room next door, and you're going to have to work as a team to, to, to find the lemons. So spend five minutes, get a strategy together which they duly did, you know, very sensibly, even though they'd had a, had a few wines, so they were just wondering what was going on. They formed their st- strategy, and then Rene said, right, okay, stand up, everyone. And then he pulled out the blindfolds. And at this point, I think they were thinking, oh, gosh, what's going on here? Blindfolded them and said, right, this was the bit you probably weren't anticipating. You've now got to help each other 
with your blindfolds on to go into the next room to execute your strategy to find all of those lemons and you've got a limited time to do it. (laughs) Now, Rene had literally taken the lemons. He'd taped them to the ceiling underneath tables. They were in plant pots. I mean, deviously well hidden throughout this room. This sounds like it was more for the facilitator's enjoyment than the... It it, it was was quite a lot of fun. Um, And I really enjoyed it. And actually, they did get a lot out of it. They learnt a lot from the exercise. But the, the biggest sort of fear for me was that one of the guys in particular had probably drank two or three too many glasses of wine. So I was really just following him around, making sure that he didn't stumble over a radiator or hurt himself or anyone else. Good. Anyway, to cut a long story short, they found their lemons eventually, and they did manage to identify the lemons that were theirs um, by feel with their blindfolds on. And it taught them a a lot of things about um, when an unanticipated change is brought into the mix, how that tends to throw the plan out of the window. It taught them about communicating with each other and also about some of the traits that come through when people are under a bit of time pressure. So you see, you know, some really positive traits and also some things which are a bit limiting too. Yeah, but hang on a minute. Right, I get all that. But how do you know that they'd found their own lemon and it wasn't just any old lemon? Ah, now this is the thing. So once they were blindfolded, René just marked them with a permanent marker. Okay. You can't feel that. You can't yeah. feel that, yeah. But it's a good question yeah. because I, I left that bit okay. out. Okay, just for what, if I decide to mm. run that activity, yes, yeah. then I uh, need to know those things. Okay, that's really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So um, if people want to get in touch with you, which I'm sure they will after hearing all about it, how's the best? what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Probably just to um, email me, paul at thegrowthshed.com. I'm um, happy for listeners of this show also just to give me a call on my mobile number, which is 0770-740-587. Um, and I guess you'll tag some contact details onto the end I'll, of the podcast put, as well. Yeah, I'll put everything into the show notes as well and, and the links through to your website. And um, how can they find out more about the, um, the, the roadmap? Absolutely. So the first place to visit would be my website, yeah. so thegrowthshed.com. In there, they can see some examples of the of the growth maps. They can see uh, the process that I go through. You know, um, the testimonials on there, so they can hear a little bit about about what people are saying. Yep. My LinkedIn profile, which um, luckily enough is just Paul Slater, all one word. On there, you'll also see that I'm fairly regularly um, commenting on aspects of what I do. Not always talking directly to my model because I'm keen as well just to share ideas and to share tools and techniques as much as I can through through that forum. There's also a free ebook which is currently on LinkedIn and you can uh, download that from my website as well. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll make sure all of that information's on the uh, show notes and so that people can access that because it is honestly it's a fantastic resource and I'm sure that people will find it really really useful. So, that's it. Thank you very much Paul. It's well, been an absolute you. pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time podcast, brought to you by Dr. Joe North. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to our channel. For even more strategies and advice, visit our website, ideatime.co.uk. Enter your email for leading insights, resources, and more every month, completely free. We'll see you next time.